Good afternoon. This is the Clark County Board of Equalization hearing for February 8th, 2024. County Clerk has informed us that this meeting has been posted and properly noticed. At this time, can we please call the roll? Terry Farr. Present. Luke Adamo. Here. Glenn Anderson. Here. Tammy Campa. Here. Suzette Wheeler. Here. Thank you. Strategic pause. I motion to adopt the agenda. Please cast your votes. I just noticed that um, I'm not on the, Heidi Meidenbauer's on the, the voting uh, list as opposed to me. Should I vote for Heidi? No, not yet. I'm not quite sure of the procedure on fixing that. Yes, Chairman, uh, originally Heidi was supposed to be a board member for today, but Glenn did fill in for her, but I did notify um, the folks that needed to know that to fix that, so hopefully they are adjusting that now. And Mr. Chair, I will need to contact IT to make that adjustment. One. Okay. And Mr. Chair, I actually could take a voice vote. That's acceptable to me. Do you want to just state yay or nay on the motion about adopting the agenda, this highly controversial topic? Uh, yes, Glenn Anderson, I adopt the agenda. And then also if um, another member could place a vote, there's. They reset it. Okay. All right. All right. So it is my understanding, I just want to make it clear on the record that Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. And Glenn Anderson, yes. That's correct. Okay. And that motion passes. Before we start, the uh, uh, microphone is open for any public comment. Does anybody have anything they'd like to say? Seeing none, I will close the microphone. At this point, we need to swear in the petitioners. Anyone who intends to testify on behalf of the petitioners and members of the assessor's office, please stand and face the county clerk to be sworn in. Do you, do you solemnly swear that the testimony you are about to give during the course of this hearing is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, 
So help you God. Thank you. Now we have a statement from the District Attorney's Office on what the Board of Equalization is and is not allowed to do. The County Board of Equalization may determine the value of any property the County Assessor assesses and may change and correct any valuation found to be incorrect to make it conform to the taxable value of the property. Any taxpayer who claims overvaluation of its real or secured personal property by reason of undervaluation or non-assessment of another taxpayer's property within any county of the state may appeal to the County Board of Equalization in the county where the property is located concerning the assessed value and present evidence. If the County Board of Equalization finds merit in the complaint, it shall increase the value of the property complained of to conform to its taxable value. A taxpayer who believes that his or her property was assessed at a higher value than another property, identical in use and comparable in location, may appeal the assessment to the County Board of Equalization. If the board finds that an inequity exists in the assessment of the value of the land or improvements or both, the board may add to or deduct from the value of the appellant's land or improvements or both, or to the property to which it is compared to equalize the assessment. A taxpayer who believes that the full cash value of his or her property is less than its taxable value computed for the current assessment year may appeal to the County Board of Equalization. If the board agrees, it may correct the land value or fix a percentage of obsolescence to be deducted from the taxable value of improvements or both to equalize the taxable and full cash value. A public officer cannot act on a matter that would reasonably be affected by the public officer's commitment in a private capacity without disclosing information in public to the chair and other members of this body. In addition, a public officer shall not vote upon or advocate the passage or failure of a matter with respect to which the independence of judgment of a reasonable person in the public officer's situation would be materially affected by the officer's acceptance of a gift or loan, the officer's significant pecuniary interest, or the officer's commitment in a private capacity to the interests of another person. Thank you. Uh, agenda item six, discussion and possible action on assessor recommendations for 2023 to 2024 and 2024 to 2025. Did you need me to direct you to where those are? Is it attachment one that we're looking at? Yes. The handouts? I motion to accept the assessor's recommendations provided on attachment one. Please cast your votes. And Mr. Chair, if Mr. Anderson could provide a voice vote for us. And Mr. Chair, I will read off the votes before recording. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson by voice vote, yes. Very good. Uh, notices of appearance. I'm sorry, that motion passes. Now for, for uh, notices of appearance. Yes, thank you, Chairman. The first case uh, for the notice of appearance is case 698, 
It can be found on page 403 of the Master Book. Um, just to review with the board, um, the notice of appearances typically are, um, we're recommending that you do not take jurisdiction and usually it's for a couple of different reasons. One, because they may have not filed timely um, or they may not have had a proper authorization or the person that signed the appeal form um, did not have the authority to sign the appeal form. Um, another reason would be that they're trying to file on a back year and we are beyond the time for doing that, which would again be an untimely filing. So beginning with 698, um, I'm gonna, we'd like to direct you to, just a second. So if you go to page um, 406, you will see um, that we were sent an appeal form and you'll see the envelope for which the appeal form was sent to us on. It was dated January 18th. Um, and according to the statutes, which are further down in the documents that are included in this case, um, NRS 361.340 um, indicates that every appeal to the County Board of Equalization must be filed on uh, no later than January 15th. If January 15th falls on a Saturday, Sunday, or legal holiday, the appeal may be filed the next business day. Um, there was a holiday on the 15th this year, and so the next business day would have been the 16th. And then you can see that it's been postmarked. Um, it does state further in um, the statutes um, on NRS 361.342, um, that the date of the postmark deems the date of, of filing an appeal. And so if the postmark date and on the envelope in which the appeal was mailed, um, I'm sorry, let me state that again. Except provided in subsection two, an appeal to the County Board of Equalization filed by mail shall be deemed to be filed on the date of the postmark dated by the post office on the envelope which the appeal was mailed. And so in this case, it was stamped the 18th. And so we considered untimely. Um, I didn't know if the petitioner was going to show up today, but I do want to just show the board a little bit more information regarding this one because what happened was we did receive a letter on January 3rd, and that's going to be shown on page 407. Um, it wasn't really a letter. It was just an envelope addressed to um, our assessor, Brianna Johnson, and it had a comp page um, taken from a, looks like a broker's, maybe a broker, uh, Caldwell banker, and then they sent their notice of value card. They didn't say that they wanted to appeal. They were questioning their value. We do receive these kinds of uh, correspondence throughout the year from folks. Um, sometimes they don't have emails and ways for us to reach out to them to contact them. So they'll send us information this way. Um, and we'll just call them and have conversations with them about the value of their records and how the law works and how the appeal process works. Um, in this instance, we did um, call the person and we also sent them the appeal form. Um, and with the appeal form, there were instructions that indicated um, the time for filing the appeal if they did wanna move forward with that filing. The appeal form was sent to them on January 8th, so it would have been more than enough time for them to file that appeal timely and they ended up sending it in on the 18th. I just wanted you to know all of that information before you make your decision. So based on this, um, and this is gonna be the same situation on case 698 and 699, um, we're recommending you do not take jurisdiction for the untimely filing. Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I recommend that this board deny jurisdiction over cases 698 and 699 
please cast your votes. Glenn, you're going to have to do a verbal. I vote yes. And Mr. Chair, for purposes of the record, I will read off the vote count. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, yes. This concerns cases 698 and 699. And that motion passes. Chairman, the next case is 992. It can be found on page 1226 of the master book. And you will find the appeal form actually listed on that page. Um, and if you go to the second page of the appeal form, you will see that it was signed by an agent, Blake Nilon, with Altus Group. Um, we did not receive any letter of authorization with this appeal form. Um, and according to statute, uh, NRS 361.362, when you're appealing on behalf of an owner of a property, um, you must get authorization. I'm speaking in broad terms, but I'll read specifically the timeline for filing a letter of authorization. It says, if a person files the appeal in a timely manner without the written authorization required by subsection 1, the person may provide the written authorization within 48 hours after the last day allowed for filing the appeal. So Mr. Ling Nilan did file the appeal on time. Um, the deadline this year for of, uh, getting a proper authorization to us would have been January 18th, which would have been 48 hours after the January 16th deadline. And we did not receive anything from him. We did follow up just to let him know that this would be scheduled for this type of a hearing today, both in the noticing and in the letters that you will see here that follow this on page 120. Uh, 1227 or yeah 1227 and 1228 and 1229 so based on this we are recommending that you do not take jurisdiction uh, mr. chair I'm sorry to interrupt but I'm being told that that case was withdrawn I was not aware of that so that's a new withdrawal we don't need to vote on that then Okay, the next case is case 483. You will find that on page 318. Um, you will find the appeal form. And on the second page of the appeal form, you will see that Elliot Kimmel um, is the agent for this particular property and Matt Huss um, was signing um, as the owner of the property in the certification section. So in this situation, we have a letter of authorization. We don't have a separate letter of authorization. The agent was authorized by the signing of the appeal form by the owner. However, in trying to find the connection of who Matt Huss was to the owner of record, um, we, we ran into some issues. So um, the owner of record that we have um, is Crossroad, uh, Sorry, let me look up the owner of record here real quick. Um, we have the owner as Westlake Village Car Wash. Um, and so, let me look here. On page 325, we looked at the Secretary of State's website 
to see who owned Westlake Village Car Wash, and you can see that the owners are Nader Meradian as the secretary, president, director, and treasurer. And so we, and then I believe we thought perhaps Crossroads Corner um, was also connected with the property, and so we included the Secretary of State's um, information on that too. And you can see that Michael uh, Meridian and Nader Meridian are also the owners of that particular LLC. So with that, we went ahead and we sent letters um, to the agent. So we have we potentially have proper authorization. So this is where it gets a little sticky because we have an authorization. And so what the statutes allow us to do is if we're not sure if this authorization is valid, we can send an objection letter and we have five days for them to respond. And I will reference the statutes on that for you. Uh, give me just a moment. Okay, so that's also in um, NRS 361.362. It says in section three, if there is an objection to a written authorization provided pursuant to subsection one, which refers to them having to have an authorization when they're filing on behalf of an owner, um, we have to give them written notice either by certified mail or by electronic email, if that's provided. And it says if the person filing the appeal submits documentation necessary to cure the objection, described in this section. They have five business days after the receipt of notice and the appeal will be deemed filed in a timely manner. So what this means is they've already have an agent of authorization. This agent authorization may be valid. We're just trying to verify whether or not it is. They cannot send us a new letter of authorization after the deadline because that would be a whole different authorization. We're just objecting to what they filed because we can't find the connection with the owner. So we went ahead and sent out letters and you can see that um, on page 328, um, where we sent the objection letter to Elliot Kimball on January 16th, letting them know that we had some issues. And on page 329, it says um, at the section there, there's a whole bunch of check boxes at the bottom. It says, please provide connection between Matthew Huss and Westlake Village Car Wash Incorporated. And we tr we've made phone calls. We've tried multiple times to correspond. Um, he actually reached out to me and said he understood that there was a problem with this particular case, but I never received anything further from them. And we're well beyond the time frame for them to cure the objection um, since we're sitting in February and we sent that on the 16th. So based on that information, we're recommending um, that we deny jurisdiction on this appeal. Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I make a motion that we deny jurisdiction over case 483. Please cast your votes. Glenn Anderson votes yes. And Mr. Chair, for the record, I will read off the vote count. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, yes. And that motion passes. Chairman, the next case is case 1076, 1076. It's on page 18. Let's see, it begins on page, sorry. Oh, my screen's going crazy. Hold on just a moment. 
page 1894. And you will see the appeal form um, on page 1895, and you'll see that written at the top it says no receipt of the form, and we're processing this as a notice of appearance. We did not actually receive a form or receive any signatures on the form, but the reason why we're providing this to you is because we're during, we are in the middle of our appeal season, just as the first one that I referenced, we received something in the mail from this gentleman, and you'll find that on page 1897, where he is saying, it's Mr. Ron Murphy, he's saying, I please review the valuation of my property. So it, we're in the middle of the appeal season, and so we're gonna assume that maybe he does want to appeal, and so we sent him an appeal form and asked him to return that to us so we could make this a valid appeal. Um, he did follow it with some backup information. He included his NOV card, um, which is the notice of value card. And we, with this, there was no contact information. There was no way to call him by phone number. So we sent him a letter based on the ownership uh, record and the mailing address that we have. And you'll find that letter um, on page 1901, um, which is dated January 10th. And we let him know that we had received his, uh, um, his request to review and enclose, please find an appeal form and to in the instructions on how to file. And if he wanted to return that, he could return that and we, we would accept that. But we never received anything from him. So based on that, we're asking that you do not take jurisdiction on this case. Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny jurisdiction over case 1076. Please cast your votes. Glenn Anderson votes yes. And Mr. Chair, for the record, I will read off the vote count. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, yes. That motion passes. We have a few more of them, <laughs> but we're gonna get through them. All these are a little unique here today. Okay, the next one is uh, 736, and it begins on page 503. You will find the appeal form on 504. Um, you can see that the owner of record is DAG Holdings LLC on the appeal form. On the second page of the appeal form, you can see Chaz Standage um, with Pivotal Tax Solutions as the agent who has signed the form. The form was received timely. They also submitted an agent authorization, which you will find on page 506, but you can see that the owner's name, as it appears on the authorization, is Drake Cement LLC, Drake Materials. And you will see that it has been signed by an Walter Espina. So this agent authorization um, would be valid if Drake Cement LLC was the actual owner of the company. Um, and so what we're trying to do is figure out how we can find a connection between Drake Cement and DAG. And so we did send, um, we first of all, we looked at the Secretary of State's website. So if you look at page 508, you can see we have DAG Holdings. And on the second page of that, it shows that it's owned by Staten Island Company Incorporated. Um, unfortunately, we, um, we did put in Staten Island Company Incorporated, but it's been dissolved, and so there was no, we didn't really find anything else um, 
it kind of dead ended there with the Secretary of State's website. So with that, we went ahead again, and this is the situation that, as I mentioned before, we sent an objection letter and they have five days to cure the objection because we actually have an authorization. We're just trying to determine if this is a valid authorization. That was sent on the 22nd of January. You'll find that on page 511 and 5, I'm sorry, 512 and 513. The letter itself um, in the other section says, please provide the connection between DAG Holdings and Drake Cement. Um, I further, we further had other conversations and so there's another email um, that came that says attached is the organizational chart from Drake Cement, who is a subsidiary of Scannon Investments, which is the parent company. DAG Holdings is a subsidiary of Scannon. These entities are all related under Nunisem Corp Scannon Investments. So this is just the tax rep telling us that they're all related, which is fine, um, but we just need to have some other proof to show the relationship. And so if you look at page 518, that's where they sent us the organizational chart. And so on this organizational chart, you can see that Unisem Corporation owns Scannon Investments Incorporation, and Scannon Investments Corporation owns several LLCs that are underneath that hierarchy, one of them being Staten Island Company. And Staten Island Company owns DAG Holdings. But if you look to the far left, we have a Drake Cement LLC, but in the hierarchy, they do not own DAG Holdings. And so, and I know this probably s seems like we're splitting hairs, but the problem is, is that we do have, um, unfortunately, some filings that are not valid. And so we have to figure out where we draw the line. And this is why we bring it before you. Um, we, I did have a conversation with them and I, I asked them for anything. If you can show me that Drake Cement is occupying the suite because, um, or occupying the building because we do have situations where the owner can be someone that's possessing or controlling the building, meaning they're managing it or they are actually leasing the property. So if we can have proof of that, I, we, we even try, we've had some other cases where, um, I think I mentioned this last, uh, on the fifth when we had our first hearing, uh, Circle K, for example. So if Circle K, if I can clearly see that Circle K is occupying the property, I'm not going to make them go through the hoops to provide me a lease agreement if I can see that. Um, so that's what we were looking for, just anything to create the connection. And though this is a connection, it's not the direct connection, and the statutes and the regulations are clear that the authorization needs to come from the owner of record that we have on our record. And if it doesn't come from them, then they have to create the connection for us. And it's gotta be a direct connection showing the ownership. So based on that, we're recommending you not take jurisdiction. Based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, a motion that we deny jurisdiction over case 736. Please cast your votes. Glenn Anderson votes yes. And Mr. Chair, for the record, I will read off uh, the, vo the vote count. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, nay. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, yes. And the motion passes. The next case is case 737. 
It can be found on page 534. You will find the appeal form on page 535. Um, you can see the owner of record is Clark County Aviation, but it's being leased to Johnny Ribeiro Builder Incorporated. And then on the second page, you can see that um, Chaz Standage has signed as the agent with Pivotal Tax Solutions. And then we have an agent authorization from Empire Southwest and related entities. And again, that's not the owner's name that we have of record, so we need to understand the connection. This one was signed by the owner, Brian Hansen, and then it included the additional parcels. So we're trying to find the connection with Johnny, Johnny Ribeiro Building LLC, um, who is leasing the property and the managing members of that is Johnny A. Ribeiro, trustee. And that's all, these are the following documents found on 541, 540 and 541. Um, we did see that Brian Hansen does work for Empire Southwest, so we did find that. Um, and you'll continue to see those as you scroll through the documents. So if we get to page 551, you can see this is where we sent the email out, notifying them that we have an objection to this particular agent authorization. On page 552, please, we've asked them to please send the connection between the Johnny Ribeiro Builder Incorporated and Brian Hansen, who signed the um, agent authorization. And I will say that we do try to reach out to them, and I have tried to reach out to this agency over and over to please help us. Um, some of the agencies did end up, and you'll see they've been, um, they're not on here anymore because we've actually removed them and we were able to make them regular cases um, when they do get us the information that we need. But in this case, we did not get any additional information. So based on this, we're recommending you not take jurisdiction. Based on the information provided in testimony contained here, and I motion that we deny jurisdiction over case 737. Please cast your votes. Glenn Anderson votes yes. Mr. Chair, the vote count. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, by vo voice vote, yes. And that motion passes. Okay, the next case is 748. Um, 748, um, the appeal form you can find on page 648. And on that appeal form, you will see that the owner of the property is LV Petroleum LLC. The parcel number is 17614401055. Again, it's signed by Chaz Standage with Pivotal Tax Solutions. And then on page 650, we have a authorization from Thompson Management Group, Nevada LP, with a John Thompson as the general partner. And he signed it on page 651. So we're trying to find the connection between our owner, LV Petroleum, and the Thompson Management Group. And so we did find John Thompson. He does uh, work for Dollar Self Storage. Um, we think that possibly this was an authorization for maybe a different parcel. 
It may have not been connected with this parcel, but we did not get any authorization for this particular parcel. And so as we scroll through, you will find that we sent a email along with the following letter, um, letting them know of the objection and helping to help us to understand the connection between, I think in this instance, we actually, by the time we were able to review this, I think because the authorization came in pretty close to the deadline, we went ahead and let them know that we didn't have proper authorization on this, so there wasn't time um, to cure the connection because of the authorization to come in so late. So it wasn't a proper authorization for this property at all. It wasn't a matter of curing the authorization. They would have needed to have a new authorization for this particular property for LV Petroleum. So based on that, we're asking that you not take jurisdiction. Just curious, uh, on the case summary page, it says the owner is Fortune Group. Is that um, another ownership? Oh, okay, so they sold it. Okay, well that explains it. I had a question too. So John Thompson is does work there and he did sign it, but you said it's the wrong parcel number? Parcel number is owned. The parcel number they were appealing is 176144010055. And he has no ownership connection with that parcel. It, the owner here is showing Fortune Group, but I think that it's also LV Petroleum LLC. It might be that we were only showing one owner of record. Um, Stephanie, can you look that up for me real quick? Uh, yes, this is Stephanie Jones for the assessor's office. Um, I have it pulled up. So there was a, a sale on 1-2 of 24, so after the appeal was filed from LV Petroleum LLC to Fortune Group LLC. So Fortune Group is the current owner, but at the time of the appeal, it was LV Petroleum. And that could have been pocket to pocket for all we know, right? I don't know enough about the sale to know. Um, what the situation was, but it still doesn't connect them with the Thomas Man Thompson Management Group, Nevada. Um, and so the authorization is for a different, I, I think that it was for a dollar storage, but this parcel is not a dollar storage, it's actually a convenience store. Um, I think I actually provide, I might have provided additional information on this one. And just looking at the deed, I mean, they, they paid transfer tax, the buyer and seller have different address. I know that doesn't mean, but I, I that's just a quick look. So. Dollar, there, there's a dollar, I'm sorry to interrupt you. There's a dollar cell storage that's on an adjacent parcel. So yes, it looks so like they just reparceled it off or, or something recently. They didn't um, get reparceled. I think they filed on the wrong parcel. Okay. I have another question. Do you notify the tax rep too or do you just notify the owners? We notify the tax rep. When, it's always the tax representative when we don't have the proper letter of authorization. When we receive an appeal form, we actually send out confirmation letters to both the agents and the owners. But if there's an objection, we just notify the agent. And so we do want to try to resolve it as much as possible. Um, but again, we couldn't find the connection on this one. Any other discussion? Okay, based on the information provided and testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny jurisdiction over case 748. Please cast your votes. Uh, Glenn Anderson votes yes. Mr. Chair, the vote count for the record. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. 
Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, yes. Motion passes. Okay, Chairman, the following cases, 751, 752, 753, 754, 755, 756, 1068, 1069, and 1070 are all a similar situation. Um, in each instance, um, and we can look at the record if you'd like, um, we did not receive a letter of authorization for any of these cases. And so based on that, we are recommending um, you do not take jurisdiction. If you'd like to look at the files, I'd be happy to direct you to um, where the information is located. I just wanted clarification. Uh, 751 through 756, 1061? 1068, 1069, and 1070. Based on the information provided in testimony contained herein, I motion that we deny jurisdiction over cases 751 through 756 and 1068 through 1070. Please cast your votes. Glenn Anderson votes yes. Mr. Chair, for the record, the vote count. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, by voice vote, yes. And that motion passes. Chairman Farr, that completes the notice of appearance. Um, the notices of appearance. Um, but when we are ready to get to discuss a possible action for petitions, um, I would like to make some comments on the first case that you're going to call. Okay. So we're done there. I just go over procedural rules and we're good? That is correct. Thank you. Very good. This hearing is recorded and part of the public record. It is difficult to transcribe the hearings with concurrent multiple voices. Please do not speak if another party has the floor. If you have the floor, please speak clearly into the microphone. Please note we do not discuss property taxes in these hearings. Your net property taxes may not be affected by the outcome of your case. Procedural rules relative to presenting appeals are as follows. When we call your case, please come up to the podium and state your name and address into the microphone for the record. The assessor will briefly describe the property to the board. You will then present evidence for your case. The assessor staff will provide their evidence to support the assessor's opinion of the taxable value. You may then respond to the assessor's case, but you are limited to the rebuttal of evidence presented by the assessor. Please keep comments limited specifically to your case. Please do not address the assessor staff. The board will ask questions of the petitioner or the assessor staff. The board will discuss the testimony and information provided and move forward with the decision. If you are unhappy with the board's decision, you have the right to appeal with the State Board of Equalization. The assessor's office also has the right to appeal our decision. Appeal forms are located in the hallway outside the doors to the chamber. Do we have uh, any administrative business? There are no additional withdrawals or stipulations at this time. We can move forward. Great. Uh, case 453, I really hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Vicelli, or Vicella 2016 Family Trust. Thank you. 
So Chairman Farr, before we get started on this one, um, this was actually a remand from the State Board of Equalization. Um, we actually had it on the agenda for that, but I think when the revised agenda got sent through with the, with the time change, we ended up not including it. it. It You still can hear it today because it is agendized, it is on the agenda, um, and it can be part of the discussion for possible actions. Um, the reason for the remand is Mr. Vasella originally last year had called our office. There had been lots of discussions um, with regards to his exemption, and we'd been in correspondence with him. Um, but he ended up filing an appeal to the state and not to the county. But the time frame for him doing that, he probably could have filed to the county. And so the decision um, of the state board was to go ahead and remand it back to you to hear it. And so that's why we're here today. So we're here basically to hear the premise of it is a 22-23 exemption. Is that correct, uh, Tina? Yes. And so um, we're going to go ahead and just hear it as if it was a regular case being heard for this time frame. Thank you. Sir, if you'd state your name and address for the record, please. Yes, my name is Joseph Versella, Vricella. Uh, my address is 928 White Feather Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada. Thank you. Tina Poff with the Clark County Assessor's Office. The subject of this appeal is a veteran's exemption for the 2022-2023 fiscal year for Mr. Joseph Versella whose residence is located at 928 White Feather Lane, Las Vegas. The original application for this exemption was denied based on an incomplete submission of documentation necessary to approve the exemption. The petitioner appealed the denial directly to the State Board of Equalization. The appeal was remanded by the State Board of Equalization to the County Board of Equalization to hear this case. The basis for the remand was the evidence presented of circumstances beyond the petitioner's control that prevented a timely filing to the Clark County Board of Equalization last year. Since the State Board, we have continued to work with the petitioner to resolve this issue before coming before the State Board or the County Board. To date, we have not received the necessary paperwork from the appellant to approve this exemption. There is no appeal evaluation. Are, what what are we looking for? DD two fourteen or correct? Yeah, Mr. Versella, do you have the DD two fourteen? So yes, I do. Chairman Farr, um, if we would do this, we would like to go ahead and let the petitioner put on their case. I'm sorry, and then we'll come back and the assessor has a lot of backup information that they'd like to present. But we were just going to introduce the case first and then have him present his part, if you don't mind. My apologies. I tend to get right after it. Please present your case. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, um, board members. I'm here today to um, appeal my decision, uh, the decision of Clark County Assessor's Office with respect to my veteran's exemption application. On July 25th, 2022, I filed an affidavit of a veteran for property tax exemption pursuant to Nevada revised statute. 361.090. From a background standpoint, on October 14, 1972, I enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserve Component in Bell, California. The U.S. Army is a component of the United States Armed Forces. On January 7, 1974, I entered active duty. I remained on active duty until June 7, 1974. 
upon which I was transferred to back to my U.S. Army Reserve uh, unit to complete my reserve obligation. On January 29, 1975, I received an honorable discharge. Um, basically, to qualify for a veteran's exemption, Nevada Revised Statute 361.090 provides in relevant part that a resident of the state of Nevada serve a minimum of 90 consecutive days on active duty who was basically assigned active duty at some time in my situation between June 25, 1950 and May 7, 1975. And the second component is, and who received upon severance from service an honorable discharge uh, or certificate of satisfactory service from the armed forces of the United States. Um, Basically, after I filed my application for exemption, I received an email from a staff member from the Clark County's Assessor's Office on September 19, 2022. I was deemed not to qualify for the following reasons. To qualify for this exemption, you need to serve a minimum of 90 consecutive days of active duty during the time frame listed on the affidavit form. Uh, they requested that I mail them a DD form two four my DD form two fourteen that shows your discharge from active duty with the character of service as honorable. And basically, they said what they emailed me was my discharge papers from the reserves. In subsequent discussions with the staff members of the count, Clark County Assessor's Office, I was able to convince them that I had served a minimum of 90 continuous days of active duty. My DD-214, which I actually submitted to with my affidavit, basically has me on active duty from January 1st, 1974, through June, excuse me, uh, January 7th, 1974, through June 7th, 1974. It's a period of five months, one day, and that was all continuous service as reflected on my DD Form 214. Um, however, the Clark County's Assessor's Office could not reconcile the fact that my DD Form 214 did not state that I received an honorable discharge on the date my active duty ended. I explained to them that my military service began with my enlistment in the United States Army Reserve Fifteen months after my enlistment, I was placed on active duty. My DD Form 214 reflects my active duty start date as January 7, 1974. After completing my active duty, I was returned to my reserve unit. That was on June 7, 1974. I received an honorable discharge on January 29, 1975. I provided a copy of my discharge orders from the United States Army, which states I received an honorable discharge. I indicated uh, that I, I did not receive a, a discharge until you complete your term of service. So basically, when I left my active duty, I was returned to my reserve unit. And then from there, um, I continued on with the reserve unit until I was discharged in January 75. On uh, November the 2nd, 
2023, I spoke with uh, Tina Poff, uh, manager of assessment services, Clark County Assessor's Office. It was her position that my DD Form 214 must state the type of discharge. The DD Form 214 is not a discharge document. It's basically a report of separation from active duty. Since I did not complete my military obligation on June 7th, 1974, I was transferred to my reserve unit to complete my obligation. On January 29th, 1975, I was discharged from military service. This was the severance or completion of my military service, and the type of discharge I received was honorable. Um, for these reasons, I have stated I believe I have met the requirement of the Nevada Revenue and Taxation Section uh, Statute 361.090. The statute requires 90 continuous days of active duty and upon severance, and that's the distinction I'm making here, it's upon severance, not from separation from active duty, I received my honorable discharge. Uh, the statute does not require that your DD-214 contain the statement honorable discharge. As a member of the United States Army Reserve, I received a DD Form 256 discharge certificate upon completion of my service agreement. And that discharge, uh, that, that form basically states I received an honorable discharge. With my application, I had already submitted my DD Form 214 I resubmitted my orders from the United States Army Reserve, uh, basically showing uh, or stating that I received an honorable discharge, and I also submitted Form DD, uh, DD Form 256, the discharge certificate, which clearly states that I received an honorable discharge. Very good, Ms. Poff. Uh, Tina Poff with the Clark County Assessor's Office. Um, the Assessor's Office does everything within its power to work with taxpayers to qualify for them for exemptions that they may be entitled to. We don't want to make their life difficult, but we are required to ensure that the statutory requirements are met and that we are, are equitably enforcing the requirements. Um, the statute intentionally limits veterans' exemptions based on dates of service and the characteristic of discharge. Not every veteran is eligible for this exemption. And I'd like to explain the requirements and how we've determined what paperwork meets those requirements before we get to Mr. Verselli's documentation. Um, first, NRS 361090, we handed you out a copy of that for your reference, uh, governs the veteran's exemption. And it requires that the veteran be a bona fide resident of the state of Nevada, provide an honorable discharge or certificate of satisfactory service for 90 consecutive days of active duty during the conflict periods that are listed in 1A, B, and C. And there are several different types of discharge that are issued, um, honorable, under honorable conditions, general under honorable conditions, a general discharge, and dishonorable. We've met with Kim Smith at the VA's office multiple times to ensure that we understand one another's requirements and verbiage um, to best assist our veterans. And in those discussions, the VA has indicated that the term honorably is used to describe all characteristics other than dishonorable. It is not synonymous with honorable. The VA provides access to benefits to all veterans not dishonorably discharged. So, and the 90 days of continuous active duty cannot include reserve service. The reservists must have been called up to active duty. 
So the statute has intentionally restricted the characteristic of service to an honorable discharge, and there's a DA's opinion on this on page 3105 and 3106 for your guys' reference. So, and in the past, the assessor's office has presented several bills to legislation that I've drafted trying to change the requirements of the statute to match the, the VA's requirements, so it's just as simpler for everyone involved. The bills have never made it out of the initial committee. Many veterans groups are adamantly opposed to changing the wording on this statute and presented testimony against the change. So since 19, or January 1st of 1950, all branches of the military use the DD-214 forms to discharge from active duty. A certificate of satisfactory service referenced in the statute is a form WDAGO, and that was issued prior to the January 1st, 1958. A sample of that form is on page 3102 for your reference if you guys want to look and see what that looks like. So DD-214s are issued for each enrollment period or period of active duty and, the, and are an evaluation for that period of service. Therefore, a DD-214 is needed to, for the qualifying 90 days of continuous active duty, which indicates it was an honorable discharge. DD-214 member one forms do not include the characteristic of service, but member two and member four forms do. And there are samples of those on page 3103 and 3104 for your reference. And then DD-214 member two and four forms can be ordered from the VA or they can, um, a letter including all necessary information is available for a same day printout at the VA hospital, which we will also accept in lieu of that document. So, and then if a veteran disagrees with this characteristic of service, there's also a process to appeal and request it to be changed through the VA. So, with this understanding of the requirements of the statutes, um, let's look at Mr. Uh, Vercelli's documentation that he's provided. So he did email us on July 5th, 2022 with his application. But at that time we had received over 100,000 emails. So that's why there's a huge delay there. That was the abatement issue. Um, and so it took us months to process those. So once we reviewed that and saw that a member one DD214 was provided, from, and he had a discharge in total from his service in the Army Reserves, but not his active duty service that said his characteristic of service. So we then requested the DD-214 member four form um, by email in September, which is on page 3090, which Mr. Vercelli re referred to. But we never received that documentation. So after Mr. Vercelli um, appealed to the State Board of Equalization, and it was remanded back, um, to the county board, in that state BOE package, there was also, that's where he also included his DD-256 form, which stated he was honorably discharged and covers his entire period of service with the Army Reserves. The DD-256 is not the same as the Certificate of Satisfactory Service referred to in the statute and does not cover the period of active duty. So on November 2nd, 2023, I did reach out to uh, Mr. Vassella by phone explaining again what documentation was needed and why, um, but he feels again that his paperwork meets the requirements um, 
However, these documents that he has referred to his total service in the reserves and not the 90 days of active duty. Mr. And Mr. Vassella indicated to me that he would not obtain the requested documentation because it was too difficult. These requirements are the same that we have made of other veterans in order to qualify them for the veterans exemption and we have been able, unable to assist him without the necessary documentation. Again, the statutes do not intend to provide an exemption to every veteran. They are narrow in their timelines and characteristics of service intentionally. Despite the attempts by our office to change the statutes to broaden these areas, there's been no changes made. We are not asking Mr. Vercella to do anything that is unattainable or very difficult um, to obtain in order to validate that he meets the statutory requirements. Our requests are consistent with every veteran and there is no intention of keeping an eligible veteran from obtaining benefits that they are entitled to. Chairman Farr, I just want to add that our office, um, and I had conversations with this gentleman as well, and asked him to please just go to the VA and get us the documentation that is needed, and he told us that he wasn't, he didn't want to do that. So for whatever reason, we don't know why, but we've, we've tried to do everything we can to help him. And the problem is, is if we qualify this gentleman, then all the other people that have had to go get the documentation that do what they're supposed to do, it, it, it it breaks the system of what we're working for to try to make sure that the proper people are getting qualified for the exemption. We don't want to deny any veteran their benefits. We want to give them their benefits. We just need them to give us what we need so we can give them their benefits. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Rosella, first of all, thank you for your service. Secondarily, uh, do you have any rebuttal to the assessor's position? Yes, I do. You know, basically, the only thing I can do as a citizen is read the statute and follow the statute. Uh, I, I don't uh, want to make uh, my own interpretation. Uh, I think the statute is very clear. I know the uh, county assessor's office is making their, their own interpretation um, with respect to uh, what documents are required. I mean, the you know, statute basically says 90 days active duty. I don't want to make an interpretation on what type of active duty, whether I did you know, 50 push-ups or ran 10 miles during my period of time that I was on active duty. But I was on active duty for 90 consecutive days, more than that, actually, 151. Um, notwithstanding any of that, with respect to documenting that I received an honorable discharge, I have the documents that were provided to me uh, when I received my discharge. I did, take it a, uh, I did take this one step further, and I went back to the National Archives with respect to uh, the United States Army and requested what they had on file for me. And I could present those documents today as I have prepared 10 copies required by the letter. And basically, it's the identical information that I initially supplied to the county assessor's office with my application. Nothing has changed. That's all they sent me. They sent me a copy of my DD-214 and a copy of my orders reflecting my discharge. 
And I don't know what else I can do. I mean, sure, I guess I could go to the VA. I guess I could go to this agency or that agency. But I don't know if they're going to change anything with respect to the documents I receive. Uh, this is what I have at hand. Again, I believe these documents are clear. It basically says I've been on active duty for it a period of time. That's what the statute requires. It doesn't say, you know, anything more than that. And as uh, the uh, representative from uh, the county assessor's office indicated, well, we've tried many times to get some clarification on the statute. And apparently, the legislature has seen fit not to do anything with respect to that. They seem to feel the statute is clear enough. And that's the only thing I can go by, what the statute says. And I believe I've met the requirements. I've met my burden of proof with respect to uh, what the statute actually states. What exactly, or, or does he need to have changed just the LY as honorable versus honorably, or is it an actual the form needs to be changed? Generally, what we would see with the form, and I'm looking at this, is if you if you look at the form he provided, um, I think that's a nine. It's very small. <laughs> Sorry, it says characteristic character of service, and generally there would be a type a, a discharge character there. Um, if you look at some of the samples, I think they were on like 31 pages for those. Sorry. This yeah. document provided has a clear copy on 3083. It's just not stamped. Right. It, does, it still doesn't have the characteristics of service. So if you look at um, 3103 and 3104, there are two different examples of um, the form that actually will show that field completed where it shows the characteristic of service. Sorry, I'm trying to get to that so I can tell you what line it is. Yeah, so if you look on 3103, like number 24, it's towards the bottom. It'll say characteristic of service, and it says honorable. Uh, this is a different form. It is. A, it, it's just a sample of the form, so you know what right. it is that we're looking for. Yeah, I mean, this form is different. that he just provided, it just uh -huh. looks incomplete compared to the one that is on the record. Right. Uh, so he, this form needs to be completed? And that's what we were looking for is a completed form. The most often we see is the member four form. If you look on the bottom, there's a tiny little two. It'll usually say a four. That's the form that we see most often. So there are different forms that they're given. The member one is given first, and then later they're sent out the additional documents, the two or the four. Um, so I... I really have not seen a member two that doesn't have that character of service completed. Okay, so if he goes down to the VA, they will give him this form that we're looking at? Generally the what the VA will do is they'll look up his records, and so they, 
On their letterhead, they'll write that he served between these dates of active duty and his characteristic of discharge. So they'll just write a letter with all of the information included on, on their letterhead. And, and this is uh, for tax exemption, right? So, Correct. Um, have you ever applied for tax exemption in the past? No. Okay. Uh, and then would it qualify moving forward, I mean, for future years once he has the correct form? And yeah. we're just looking at this one year. Yeah, if he had the correct form with the correct information, um, how they qu they qualify, and then each year the statute requires them to sign a renewal card every year, So, but he would not have to requalify again. So if we allow it, would he have to have the right form next year? Well, if you allow it, he would you would grant him the exemption. We generally haven't gone back and redone your decisions to make them jump through hoops again. Um, that was something we would have to talk about as an office, what policy we wanted to make with that. Yeah, I would state that if you're, we're our, the, the assessor's stance is he hasn't pro filed the proper form. We don't require them to file the proper forms year after year after year. What Ms. Poff is saying is that once they filed the form, they qualify, we're good, they just have to sign the renewal card each year proceeding. My husband happens to be a veteran that had active duty and he does that every year. He has to sign his new card every year. If you don't sign your card, you don't get it. So you gotta sign your card and renew it, but you don't have to provide all the documentation. The documentation is what establishes that you qualify for the exemption. Okay. And so we need the proper documentation to say that he's qualified. And I'm just curious, is there any indication from the paperwork you did receive that um, he does not meet the criteria of honorable discharge? We, d we just you don't, don't know. know. Okay. And the thing is, is there's a lot between dishonorable and honorable discharge. And depending on the time he served and the circumstances, there's a whole lot of things. Um, like a perfect example is veterans during the Vietnam era who were wounded and didn't complete their four years automatically got a general under honorable conditions. So there are veterans that have had great success going to the VA and getting that upgraded to be honorable so they qualify for the program. And it was through no fault of their own. They, they served, they did what they were supposed to do. They just you know, were injured. And so that was what the policy was at the time. Um, so it's really hard to say because we're looking at you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, 74, um, 45 years ago. So it, it's, there's no way for us to make that determination. And the statute is so narrow and it only allows one characteristic of discharge. And there's a reason for that, I'm sure. Okay, thank you. How long does it take to get a form like that that you're looking for? Uh, usually by mail, I'm not sure how long it, it took him by mail. Usually, well, I spoke to him on November 2nd and he got this on the 29th. So it's usually a few weeks if you request it by mail. If you go into the VA hospital, depending on the time of day you go on, you walk out with it or you get it the next day. So if we were inclined to support him and between now and the time that you guys would likely appeal it and he went and got the form, would that work? Are you willing to go to the VA and get the proper documentation? Well, is the VA the, you know, the correct source? I mean, I went to the Department of Army archives to get my documentation. It appears Usually it is. the Department of Army or your service branch determines whether you were honorably discharged. 
the Veterans Administration takes over after you've completed your service in the military. And what, whatever they do, whether they handle a medical condition you have, whether they administer a loan uh, that you're trying to get, uh, if you're trying to get veterans' benefits, sure, they might, you know, they're there to help you. They may also provide, you know, information with respect to my service record. But my service record that I just presented came from the National Archives. They can't, they're not going to have anything different. I, I guess if you grant me my exemption, I'll make an effort to go to the VA and see what I can get. I mean, that actually turned out to be a very uh, uh, unintrusive process. I filled out a form, mailed it to them, and then they emailed me those documents back in a password-protected file. So, you know, I, I don't know what the VA is going to provide, but, um, and I don't know what form someone is looking for. It seems to be a very narrow determination. Uh, with respect to, you know, what form is out there. Uh, I don't know if there's a particular form number that the VA uses. I mean, the government branches uh, of information, every, everybody has their own different form. I believe the county will be able to give you some direction exactly what they're looking for and what to provide um, or request from the VA. And at that point, you could approach them uh, through email or physically, show them the paperwork that they can show you a sample of, and specify I need it to be this, and if you qualify, you qualify. If not, then, um, you know. I know this, I, do I did qualify way back when for a veteran's loan. Sure, yes, and, 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 I that, do and have that, that, this, that might be a different uh, specification as to what this exemption is for. So, um, I'm, uh, Ms. Camp, I agree with with what you're saying is that we give them the time period during the appeal process, and then he would have to provide the form. Chairman Farr, so you're making the decision contingent upon him providing the form, because normally that's not the way we would make well, decisions. In my opinion, that's backwards. I, I would say we would deny it, you would appeal it to the state, and then provide the proper documentation at the state appeal, right? And I'm not. He doesn't me, I'm even not have to, be to file to the state. If he would just provide us the documentation, he can go tomorrow, get the documentation, bring it to our office, and we will grant him the exemption for this period. For this period. For this period. It's so, that simple. What, I mean, I, wait. We can't. Okay. <laughs> so sorry, because it's the 22-23 fiscal year, which is two years ago. We, we could do the 23-24 fiscal year, but not for real property, but it would have to go to the state board to be approved because it's a past fiscal year that's closed. Okay, does he have to show No, up it does this? not because the state board remanded it to this board to hear for the 22-23 year. So it, it, I understand what you're saying. So you could, yeah, I see what you're saying. So the decision, the problem is, is you have to make a decision in it to approve it because it's a back year. So there's two different issues here. One, does he qualify? And two, are we going to approve a back year? So we're willing to grant it to him, but it has to be approved by a board because we have to have the documentation. So yes, in this example, he would need to provide us the documentation. Then we would recommend to the state board to go ahead and accept it. So how would you like us to word it where we can say approved contingent upon him getting this documentation within a certain period of time? 
I, I can't direct the board as to what to say, but I can tell you that that's, uh, it's, that would be a very unique, I don't think that's an appropriate, okay. I think you should ask your DA okay. whether how, that's how an appropriate uh, motion. How about denial subject to providing documentation? I would say that you would have to do the denial for now, and then he could appeal it to the State Board of Equalization for the past year, and then going forward, they could grant him the exemption based on the forms. Does he have to show up to the State Board, or can he send that in? He can stipulate, if, as long as he gives us the information and we can actually get, say that we're going to approve it, we will recommend it as an assessor recommendation before the State Board, and we can have him sign a stipulation to that effect, and then they will just vote on it. We just have to have a formal vote. I think that's what um, Tina Poff is referring to. We have to have a formal vote because we don't have the authority on our own to go ahead and grant something in a back year. It has to go before a board. Okay. Board members, you find that fair? Denial, well, then? But, but didn't Ms. Sweetener just say that if we do it a denial, then he won't qualify for the past one? Well, it'll go to state. He can appeal the state. What we're saying is he has to, we need him to provide the documentation. So if he provides the documentation, we're like, we're great. He's given us what we need. We want to give him the exemption. But to give him that in a back year, we need a board's approval. So that's why we have to go to the state board because either he has to go to the state board or we have to go to the state board because we have to go to the state board to get a board approval, if that makes sense, because it's a back year. We can't just make that decision on our own. We don't get to just open up records and make decisions as assessors to go change records in the back years. Everything that we change has to go for a board approval, whether it's the Board of County Commissioners or the County Board of Equalization or the State Board of Equalization. Does that make sense, sir? Well, I understand that aspect, okay. the different years, and maybe there's a different uh, hierarchy with respect to approval. I do have a couple of concerns, though, with, with all of this. I'd like to know what form you expect to see from the uh, Veterans Administration you guys so I can ensure I get the right form. I don't want to chase around for six weeks, make six weeks worth of visits to the VA. Sure. You guys can work that out? Okay. Well, you shouldn't be able to give me that form number right now, right? Right, you would either need a DD-214 member four form, and it, but it specifically needs to have that characteristic of service included. Or we need a letter on VA letterhead indicating the dates of your active duty and the characteristic of discharge. So it's in that letter that I sent you, and I can show you that when, when we're done. Like, I'll highlight that part for you. It's, on, it's okay. in that letter. Okay, so you would accept a letter from the Veterans Administration with them stating my active duty, my 90 plus days of active duty, and my type of discharge, is that correct? Correct. So what is different with that VA letterhead versus what I've already submitted from the Department of Army? The discharge portion. What's the discharge portion is never gonna be on my 214 because that's a separation document, not a severance of service document in my particular case. This is how they handled it 50 years ago. I see them every day that way, from reservists and National Guards who have served and be called up to 90 days or more of active duty. They have a DD-214 with the characteristic of discharge listed on there. I, I, all I can say is that the member four um, portion seems to be the, the most important issue, so uh, that's something I would 
approach the VA with, and it, you'll have the opportunity to appeal it to a state board if there's denial and. Sure. Yeah. But um, I, I guess you have two documents that give you the re result that the statute requires. That's no different than one document from the VA that says, because the best the VA is going to do is they're going to look up, maybe, my, maybe I have to bring in my DD-214. As that cover letter says, that's the only DD-214 that's in my record. And, and, and you can request that from the VA. I think they'll provide you with a, another form that will satisfy the county's needs is what, what they're saying. Well, basically, I think that what they're saying is they'll, they could provide a letter. Either or a, or letter, a letter that specifies that because I, I don't think what we have here uh, is insufficient, more or less, based on what the requirements are for the county to allow for an exemption. Okay, so, so in other words, the county has a different standard than the statute prescribes. No, I think there's a very specific um, standard and this does not meet that specific standard. And I, I believe that's been clearly stated here. That's correct. correct. So, it sounds uh, like there are a whole bunch of hoops to jump through, but it sounds like the county's willing to help you jump through those hoops, so. Yeah. I will ask you again, um, are you willing to go to the VA and try to obtain that document? Because I asked you before, but frankly, you didn't answer me. <laughs> okay, I'll, uh, I'll make an attempt. Okay and see it's, what they provide. Yeah, it's worth but, your time to go make the attempt because everybody wants to, to give it to you, so. I wanna give it to you, but that I, need, I need the assessor to have the information that they need, and I don't have the authority to override what's required. No, and this right. is one time forever, so no. I, mean, I, think, I think it's worth <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, well, forever is a short period of time for me right now. Uh, however, uh, with respect to all of this, I, I'm still missing the connection between what I provided and I guess the uh, statute, the way it's written. And I guess there's an undertow with respect to the county, uh, with respect to granting this, because they have, they've tried a number of times to get the legislation changed. And that might be good for the future, but this is the statute that's here now. Right, and until they can get it changed where something like what you're providing is acceptable, they need what meets current statute. And that's what they're trying to I, I achieve. Guess, yeah, I guess I can't read the statute the same way someone else is trying to embellish the interpretation of it. The statute, I think you, I hope you've all read the statute. It says 90 days active duty. It doesn't say 90 days doing this, that, and the other thing. I understand you're looking at the intent, the intent of the statute, you, you meet the requirements, but we're looking at it from the specifics of what? The letter of the law. The letter of the law, yeah, essentially, so. Do you concur that I've met the letter of the law? I don't. We, we don't. We, we don't know, we, because the paperwork doesn't specify the letter of the law, it doesn't specify that. So no, I guess would be the. Answer. The letter of the law says 90 days active duty. The intent of the law, yes, I believe that you met the requirements, but the actual letter of the law 
I don't believe he did. Well, the, the statute doesn't say anything more than, it doesn't require a DD-214 to have honorable discharge stamped on it. It, it just says you I'll, received an honorable discharge. I'll quote from the, the NRS 361-090 subparagraph C, and who received upon severance from service an honorable discharge or certificate of satisfactory service from the armed forces of the United States or who, having so served, is still serving in the armed forces of the United States is exempt from taxation. That's, I, it, am I correct in understanding that what you needed to say honorable discharge or certi certificate of satisfactory service? Correct, for the period of service that he is saying qualifies him. And the document you provided just shows that you're transferred to USAR to complete the reserve obligation. It doesn't say satisfactory, dis or it doesn't say honorable, or honorable discharge or cert certificate of satisfactory service. But my, if you flip that document over, it has my orders basically stating that I was discharged on January 29th, 1975, Type of discharge, honorable. But this discharge was from the reserves, not from his active duty, and that's, that's, that's the difference. You're never discharged. In my instance, I will never have been discharged from active duty. I could only be separated from active duty and returned to my reserve unit to complete my service contract. Once I've completed my service contract, then I'm entitled to be severed from the military and receive a type of discharge. In my instance, it's an honorable discharge. I, I don't know if we're really um, uh, you know, in the place to make a determination of the type of discharge. All we can do is follow exactly w what the requirements are. Uh, to me, having not served, I don't know the difference between the two and what the forms should say or how it could could possibly present it. So um, it's just ex exactly the way that they have it in the statute to have it written, and it's not written that way on these forms. So we just need the forms that are exactly the way it's supposed to be written. Hi, I'd like to read read something to you from this document that you sent to us. Sure. This is from the National Personal Records Center, and it says, the enclosed separation document will verify the veteran's initial period of active duty for training. Because subsequent periods of active duty for training were not less than 90 days, no additional separation documents were issued. So that's why they didn't have the DD-14, is what it looks like here. Well, there's one DD-14 available for me for my active duty, and that's the one you have in front of you. I don't have a DD-14. This doesn't have a DD-14. The, the, the document that's attached to the cover letter. Is On the bottom left corner, it says DD-214. Is DD-214. And that shows the time that I was on active duty starting January 7th, 1974 through June 7th, 1974. 
that covers more than 90 days. If I happen to be on active duty again for more than 90 days, then there would be a second DD-214 showing the time I spent on active duty. After, after June 7th, 1974, I did not spend any additional time on active duty. I was discharged January 29th. 1975. So we're looking at a period between June 74 and January 75, where I did not spend any additional time on active duty. But I have at least 100, at least 90 days of continuous active duty service. That meets the first part of the statute. Chairman Farr, I think the, on this form, this form would be great if we had one more piece of information. And that is the character of service. That's all we needed was the character of service and we needed it to say honorable. It can't say honorably, it can't say under honorable conditions, it can't be blank, it needs but to say honorable. What he's saying on the back page here, it does say type of discharge honorable. And that is for, if you look at the top, it says subject, discharge from United States Army Reserves, not his active duty. Not active. So it needs to be essentially very similar to this, except saying active duty. That's correct. Okay, I was, I, I don't. I was never discharged from active duty. That's never going to change. And that's fine, but the separation papers need to have the character of service then. And maybe there was a reason that they made it that way to narrow the exemption. They needed, they or they wanted to apply it just to uh, active duty discharges. The statute doesn't state that? Well, well, the statute says what it says, and the people who meet the statute will have the form that's from active duty being honorably discharged. Um, and, and essentially, what this form is saying is because it's reserves, it's not qualified. So you don't meet the requirements of the statute. That, uh, pardon me for interrupting, that member four document, the DD, 214 member four says right at the top certificate or release or discharge from active duty. It specifically states active duty. So essentially they're asking you for the member four version of the DD 214. And if, if you're unable to get it, if they won't provide that to you, then essentially it, it's not meant for you. The exemption I think is, yeah. is kind of what it, the, what the law is saying. Okay. Obviously it's not in my file. No one's going to be able to create it at this point in time. That wouldn't be appropriate in any event. That document, DD-214, was prepared on June 7th, 1974. I actually watched them type it up. It's a multi-part document. Page one is the same as page two, page three, page four, and so on, down, I think, to page seven. It was a carbon uh, typeset document. That's why those different numbers are on there. But the header on page four is what says active duty. Yeah, maybe the That's VA what they're could looking explain for. exactly why you wouldn't qualify if they're unwilling to perform or provide that form. But um, based on this paperwork, because okay. people do get this active duty release, uh, possibly you don't actually qualify for the exemption. In today's, well, in today's law, I mean, maybe years ago when you had it before, but the way it's written today, um, I, I think I would be ready for a motion. Uh, well, I, I guess I can't agree 
with the interpretation that I haven't been honorably discharged from the military. Yeah, and we're not saying we necessarily agree with it, with that as well. We just agree with the fact that what you provided does not meet what the law requires for an exemption. I, I, and that's, I, all, that's all we're here to determine. Okay. I, I would implore you to go to the VA and ask for the DD-214 member four page. I think that would satisfy all of this. Well, apparently I could also get a letter that says. Either or, please, twice. I, I'm not trying to be rude at all. I, we want you to get it. We want you to, to get the exemption. But we have to stick to what's written in, in oh, NRS. Oh, okay. I, I guess part of me says, sure, I'll go with the VA and get this. There's another part of me that says the statute is being misinterpreted. And if it was mis misinterpreted for me, how many other folks walked away from a hearing like this because they just couldn't be bothered with how the county is interpreting the statute? And I guess that's the part that bothered me the most in this entire process. The assessor stated on the record that, that they've helped, we didn't state a number, but several people I don't know if you have any idea of, of the number of people that have satisfied that request. Uh, and I don't have a number, but we've worked with people both to get their characteristic changed and to get the documentation they needed. It's daily that we help veterans to do that. And even tried legislatively to get it done and probably will continue to. Um, my, my dad's a veteran, so I'm always inclined at first to support the veteran, and I would love to support the veteran. I think everybody here has shown that they would too, but. I think that we've heard uh, enough discussion now and I'm ready to make a motion that we deny the proponent and strongly encourage him to go work with you, try to get the paperwork and file an appeal. They, they bounced it down here too, the state, because they also didn't wanna, it seems like. you know, I, I think if you qualified and you go, you do what you need to do, then you're gonna get the exemption forever. So I would encourage you to do that, but for now I'm gonna make a motion that we deny it. Motion has been made. Please cast your votes. Yes. And Mr. Anderson, if you could please state your name and then your vote again, please. Glenn Anderson votes yes. Mr. Chair, I will relate the vote count for the record. Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, yes. That motion passes, sir. You do have the right to appeal. But again, please, please go to the VA and, and request member four form on, of the DD-214, please. or the letter that would satisfy the, the, the requirements. I could, get a, I could probably get a letter, but I can't get a member, uh, part four. It doesn't Respectfully, exist. you don't know that. Respectfully, you, you said you went to the Department of Army. You don't know what the VA can do. You've refused to go, correct? I mean, that's what you stated earlier. And, and again, correct. I mean, the, the hearing's closed, the motion's passed. We want to help you. We genuinely do. Please try. That, that's all I'm asking personally. I will, will I be receiving a written uh, notification with respect to uh, how um, you've made a determination today? 
Yes, we do send those letters out for all of the conclusions from the hearings around the end of March. In the meantime, I, I would please just ask you to, to hit up the, the VA. And we just want to remind um, him that there are state board forms in the back if he'd like to grab one and file to the state. Correct. You have the right to appeal. Forms are outside the door. Okay. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Do we have any remaining cases that have been stipulated to or withdrawn? Yes, if there are no more peti petitioners, then we would like uh, you, uh, Chairman, to take a vote on all the remaining cases um, that have not been withdrawn or stipulated, but including, actually, let me say that again. We need you to make a motion to accept all of the assessor recommendations for everything left on the agenda, whether withdrawn, stipulated, or on the agenda. To vote on those, please. A motion to accept the assessor's recommendations on any cases where the petitioners did not attend this hearing and those that have been stamped stipulated or withdrawn. Please cast your votes. Glenn Anderson votes yes. And Mr. Chair, for the record, the vote count Terry Farr, yes. Tammy Campa, yes. Luke Adamo, yes. Suzette Wheeler, yes. Glenn Anderson, yes. That motion passes. Any other general, general administrative business? Um, just to let you know that we are down to um, six cases for the 12th. 73 cases for the 14th, 38 cases for the 15th, 47 cases for February 22nd, 123 cases for February 26th, and 39 for February 28th, a total of 326 cases that have yet to be resolved. Very good. Um, microphone is open for any public comment. Seeing Mr. none, I will close the microphone. Any Mr. other business? Mr. Chair and Madam Facilitator, if I may, for the record, discuss how we handled the vote count, just to make sure that that is clear on the record, if I may. Sure. Um, the software utilized to reflect the roll, car, roll call and to enable members to vote um, mistakenly listed Ms. Heidi Meidenbauer instead of Mr. Glenn Anderson. So when a vote was called, those members who could electronically vote, who would have been Terry Farr, Tammy Campa, Luke Adamo, and Suzette Wheeler, they did vote electronically. Mr. Glenn Anderson carried out voting by a vote count. He would state his name and then get his vote and then a verbal recount of the voting of each member would be undertaken, and then also there would be an electronic uh, recording of those who were able to electronically vote to do so. So uh, due to the technical dip difficulty, again, I repeat that Ms. He Heidi Meidenbauer was mistakenly listed instead of Mr. Glenn Anderson, but there was both a verbal, there was a verbal relation of the vote and then an electronic recording. Thank you. 
Thank you, Ms. McMahon. Anything else? Chairman Farr, one more thing. I just wanted to, we, we thought we had included the notice of decision from the state board to remand this to this board for the prior case, um, but I don't think it was in the record, and so we wanna just let you know that we wanna include that in the record of that decision if you'd like to take a look at it, um, but I'm, we're gonna go ahead and give it to the clerk so it'll be included in case this goes back to the state. Great. Noted. Anything else? Nothing more for today. Very good. Thank you for your time. This meeting is adjourned.